Welcome to Keeping Score. I'm Rick Haro. Each week we bring you insights from the playmakers, dealmakers, and rule makers in the world of sports. I'll give you my take on some of the items of the week using my 30 years of experience doing deals for teams, leagues, and players in the $750 billion business of sports. Plus, we'll talk with a central figure in the sports world. The views expressed in this podcast are my own and do not represent the views of Reuters. Let's get started. End of August, NBA, NHL, just around the corner. Baseball, heating up, football, college, right here, NFL, near. It's a big time for all sports, including some of the sports that Dan Calaruso doesn't really play, but he is the global editor, so we have to have him on. How's that? Thanks for that, Rick, and I'd like to celebrate. Uh, I think this is our third consecutive year of not going to the U.S. Open together. Well, it's also it, it's also the third consecutive year of an ongoing invitation, so there will be a fourth, and there will be a fifth. I hope so. I hope so. Yeah, there will be. So, so we are fine, but we're not as good as Under Armour after they heard the comments of Kevin Durant explain. Well, I would say that we, our friendship right now is on much better ground maybe than Kevin Durant and Steph Curry. Because Kevin Durant came out this week on Monday, I think, on a podcast on The Ringer and said that young players didn't want to wear underarmers. Nobody wanted to wear underarmers. Uh, and it knocked 3% off the stock in one day. It continued. It's Wednesday today. We're taping on Wednesday. It's continued to fall today. And uh, while he was saying that about Under Armour, he might not have realized that Steph Curry has a multi-million dollar contract with Under Armour, and he has an equity stake. So I don't know how much he cost Steph Curry in two days, but he may have to buy a few lunches uh, when camp opens up. Well, you know, the impact of the personal relationship, to be sure, is, is, is heartwarming. But the more important issue to me is the value of an athlete endorser when he says something that's probably not well thought out and the impact on the stock. You know, your numbers are pretty compelling there. As a business guy, doesn't this validate the fact that they pay these big guys uh, money to stay on script, but you also see the downside, even if you're not a terrible actor, you just say the wrong thing. Well, he, he might have said exactly what the, you know, the wisdom, the in-the-trenches wisdom in the NBA says. I'd rather wear Nikes, you know. Under Armour's may be, may be looked at one way. Um, you know, you wouldn't, you know, wouldn't someone win a marathon wearing Skechers and that became a, a big deal or something along those lines? Like, there's, you know, a personal brand and a personal image in the NBA goes a long way. I think where you shoot contract is, is part of that. Durant might have been saying what the league thinks um, in a very innocent way, because Durant is not a bad guy, um, by and large. He's not a blowhard. Um, but, you know, in this, it just shows to me how, how delicate um, the branding images are around athletes, right? I mean, if somebody said something similar about Nike or the Nike or the, break, or the Jordan brand within Nike, like, what would that do to the stock? Um, so I think there's a really, I think it's a very delicate relationship. And like, like anyone else who's more built around marketing, for as good as a product may be, the, the consumer oomph comes from the marketing, it's a, it, you're on a tightrope. And I, I think it's just a reminder to Under Armour, despite its wonderful growth over the years, um, that they're in a, in, a, in a dicey situation. This is an era where there is this uh, stream of consciousness news if 
Kevin Durant had a chance years ago in the same circumstance to think about it. Well, he goes back to his advisors and his PR firms and his consultants, and the language becomes entirely different. But now it's the, I want my news now, and you have the consequences attached to that. Right. I mean, the world is, look, the world's news consumers have become um, a lot smarter and a lot savvier about what they consume and they want authentic feelings. They don't want the scripted stuff anymore. And, and that's kind of what you get when you do a podcast like The Ringer and then you get, uh, you know, Kevin Durant saying something like that. But you know what's interesting? Under Armour, bottom line is, didn't they just get the baseball uniform deal? Yeah, I mean, they'll survive. Don't, don't, don't hold a bake, bake sale for Under Armour. Yeah, Steph Curry's fine. Um, nobody's going to be collecting soup for Steph Curry. Uh, he's okay. But it just shows that the brand recognition is always teetering on who you're associated with. And if it's a scandal around someone like um, I think Adidas had or Nike had with Kobe Bryant um, uh, or, you know, something positive, uh, you know, around a Durant or around a Steph Curry when he first signed that deal, you know, that becomes what your stock moves on in the short term. And it just hope, you hope it doesn't push management into, a, you know, a rash decision one way or another. But it's just to me, it's just interesting. It's people power. It's the power of the the bully pulpit of the superstar. And it's just a great example this week. Bully pulpit of superstar is great. And it leads us into superstars of, a, of another context, uh, the Roger Federer variety, notwithstanding the fact that you're 0 for 3 in accepting my invitations to the U.S. Open. There is a tournament that, that is going on. Uh, as we're taping this, there was a large uh, day-long deluge in New York City yesterday, but yet $150 million retractable roof that debuted over Arthur Ashe Stadium last year kept matches dramatic and TV on schedule. And it's kind of interesting. The U.S. Open, by the way, $50 million of prize money, more than ever before. $3.7 million men's and women's champions, more than ever before. And so that sets the standard as far as health of the industry and the way future players get funded for training, certainly the U.S. Open's capital improvement, $600 million, carries the day. They're telling us, by the way, and this is a tease for next week, Chris Widmeyer, one of the managing directors, that this is all private money, and it's $600 million of renovation over a five-year period, and certainly it helps with revenue, but it also helps with fan experience, uh, even though you haven't been out of the U.S. Open recently. What do you think? Well, look, I think the revenue is is terrific, and I think the fan experience at the Open is from what I've heard, <laughs> I haven't been there in years, um, is second to none in terms of food and, you know, the great seats. When you have great seats, the event, the ability to kind of wander around the side courts in the early days of the, of the, the Open is terrific. But, I mean, is the problem, you and I want to talk a lot about the problems with American tennis players and where have they gone. Do either of us think money is the issue, keeping American tennis players from being at the, at the top of the world rankings? Well, I don't, because I do think that choice is the issue. There are 300,000 tennis courts in the U.S. It's a $6 billion industry. And so $12 million is the value of these USTA grants that have refurbished tennis in the inner city. Yet, only nine men from the U.S. in the top 100 and 14 women. We have, the American players, have other choices. They pick up a bat. They pick up now a golf club. And certainly... They're even playing soccer, not, not, you know, let alone basketball. It's a lot easier to find a basketball game than to find a tennis game, and that still is an issue. 
Yeah, you would think it would be easier to find a tennis match, right? Because you only need one other guy. Um, but <laughs> apparently in the States, it, it just hasn't. It, it, I think the country club aspect of it um, has kept people away, has kept the pool of available athletes out of the way. You and I were talking about this uh, last week, right? And uh, and off the off, not on the show, but and I said, well, why don't they make Richard Williams put Richard Williams uh, in charge of uh, U.S. tennis for a while and see if he could make some more Serena and Venuses? I mean, those they're gifted, talented athletes, but there was a training regimen and a progression that their game followed that obviously was special and unique. I mean, you don't get that, that good for that long just on athletic ability. Um, you know, why not find a model, a training model, and, and institutionalize that across the, you know, across the program? Um, so I, I just think that there's a, like you said, I think it's a demographic issue of choice. People want to play other things. Um, and other countries, quite frankly, you know, don't have as much choice or spend a lot of time developing players. Um, you think of Central European countries and women's tennis players. I mean, it's, they're like factories right now. Um, and and they, they, they work. But again, they don't have the choice. Uh, they don't, they, their best athletes don't get lured away into other sports, right? Yeah. And uh, again, it's, it's, it's all about how to make sure you, you stay involved in the game and you become intense in the years you could be making other choices. Focus on golf. Women Indy in Tech Championship presented by Guggenheim next weekend, Labor Day week beginning. Uh, and the, the, the more important issue is not, not the health of the LPGA. We've, we've focused on that. Uh, otherwise, they're making strides. <coughs> but funds and initiatives focusing on women in tech, youth, STEM, robotics, um, food development, in conjunction with the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, which you could say is one of the highest tech institutions that Indiana has to offer. But kudos to this event for reaching out to a demographic and a cause that hasn't really been done before. Dan Towers and the guys at Guggenheim did a great job on that. But what what do you think of the role of, of golf and, and the $4 billion a year in charity to reach out to certain aspects of society that haven't really been um, treated the way they should be? Sports uh, important in that context, don't you think? Well, look, I, I don't even see it as charity. You know, when you sit uh, in a management position at a company, uh, you have to realize that diversity uh, is is a gift, right? And it, it makes your organization better. So I, I, it's philanthropy in one sense, but I don't see it as charity. It's just, it, it really does help everyone involved. Um, when I look at this, you, you only have to look as far as Uber to realize about women and technology and the disconnect and the disconnect that in some ways you could see really hurting the tech industry um, from the culture to the development of products to the access to capital. And that's only going to get worse going forward if something doesn't change. So it's interesting that Guggenheim, you know, a a newish Wall Street firm with a kind of old line mentality uh, in the best possible way. Um, And Indianapolis, which is a town that is rapidly becoming uh, a really interesting place to visit and a, a bigger sports mecca. Uh, I, I think it's a, it's a good combination. And I think if you have to reach decision makers on one end, on the CEO level, you know, golf is a good way to put, put things in people's consciousness. And on the spectator level, you never know who's watching. And your fan base could be captivated by a person or a character or, or a location that would widen that net. And you can catch a bunch of you know, teenagers, um, tweens, whatever you want to say, who would get interested in either a sport 
and benefit from that or get interested in, you know, uh, a cause that's related to the sport. So, uh, you know, you know me as a, we're both fathers of daughters and we both have strong feelings about this kind of inclusion and it's the most necessary thing you can, it's a great conjunction in a very necessary cause. Great conjunction, necessary cause and a good segue, by the way, because our guest is a woman business person. She is a American professional golfer, but she turned pro at age 17 and the youngest ever winner of a modern LPGA Tour championship, fourth in the world rankings at that point, made more money over an extended period of time, 2007 Kraft Nabisco Championship, the youngest ever winner on the tour. 18 years, 333 days. It stood until Lydia Ko won in 2015. She's also very involved in the Indy Women in Tech Championship. She'll be there next week. Morgan Pressel, her, by the way, her, her, uh, her dad, uh, Mike Pressel, but Kathy Crickstein Pressel, Aaron Crickstein's family, if you remember the U.S. Open and Jimmy Connors. A U.S. tennis player, that, right, a great U.S. Match. tennis player. Yeah. Tennis family, golf family, but most important, foundation, philanthropic, the golf business, Morgan Pressel. Sports professor Riccaro inside the boardroom, beyond the scoreboard. It's an ongoing series of the leaders in sport on and off the field, on and off the course. Here's somebody who is a leader, certainly on the field slash course, and with her foundation second to none as far as what she does. But it's a different context. We're here at, as we said before, the Walmart Championship, Walmart Northwest Arkansas Championship presented by P&G. Morgan Pressel, how are you? I'm great. How are you doing, Rick? I'm awesome. Thank you very much. So... Um, are you, are you tired of the moniker of being the youngest LPGA pro ever to win a modern LPGA major championship? Because that's such an obvious, it's a great, great identification. And that's kind of how you, who, you've, who you've been over the last few years. You're not tired of it. You should, be, you should revel in it, frankly. No, it was definitely um, one of the highlights of my career, my first real breakthrough victory on the LPGA Tour. And, I mean, since then it's been broken. So records are made to be broken, but... Um, you know, for I had a good 10-year run there where I was um, the youngest to win a major, and I'm sure somebody will break the break Lydia's record, you know, somewhere down the pipeline. Yeah, and it's not, you know, the 10-year run is just the beginning of a next series of runs in a lot of different contexts. Let's talk about this event. 11 years, you've been here 10 years, uh, better every year. Kind of compare it 10 years ago to what it's like today. Well, I mean... It has become such a community event that it continues to grow every year. The fans that come out, the builds, I mean, to think about the grandstands that we had, you know, the first few years to, to what it is now. And people mark these dates on their calendar and they come out in full force. And it's a lot of fun. It's so much more than just about golf. We get to come play this great golf course, but it's really about everything that this event does for the community outside of the game of golf. LPGA athletes are most of them hopefully are business entrepreneurs as well and i assume it's a good thing to give you an opportunity to spend a lot of time with the walmart folks the png folks the tysons folks and everybody else that comes out here from a corporate perspective oh there's no question uh, i'm you know last night at the pro-am party some of the most powerful people in the world in that room and to be able to call so many of them my friends over the years it's um it's been quite the journey here for sure when you think about the LPGA broadly defined, and Mike Wan has been a hero for a lot of reasons, it's a partnership now with the corporate 
America corporate world. It's not just slapping a balance sheet together and putting on an event, but it's long-term relationships. And this is a good example of that, isn't it? Well, 100%. And uh, I, I might be a little biased, but I do think that the LPGA presents the best product in terms of, you know, with having Walmart have all their suppliers here and everybody being able to come together on the golf course for an enjoyable time, a great week. I think that we put out a great product that really makes all of that happen and everybody has a wonderful time. And uh, the LPGA players are very approachable, a lot of fun. And um, I think that's part of what makes this event such a great success. The other making this event a success, a little shameless plug, we're all involved in an event in Indianapolis called the Women in Tech Open. Uh, Women in Tech Championship presented by Guggenheim. Uh, the idea of to the professional world-class athletes who participate in these kind of events, putting something on that's special and unique, the Walmart opportunity for the whole week, the Women in Tech dynamic in Indy, that's something that gets your attention, not just playing. The off-the-course stuff is important too, right? Well, definitely, and I think that that's what gives these events such long-term success and makes them more community-driven than just golf-driven. Um, I think the Women in Tech initiative in Indianapolis will be really interesting. It's something that never has really happened on the LPGA Tour and a way that we can come to a community, play golf, do what we do well, we do best, uh, chase that little white golf ball <laughs> and drive ourselves crazy, um, can really help benefit the next generation of young women leaders in technology. I think it'll be really neat. It'll be really neat. The other thing which is very important for Morgan is she got to hit the first ball at the tournament, uh, uh, celebratory, hit it about 600, 700 yards <laughs> right down the speedway straightaway. Wasn't that cool? That was cool, wasn't it? That's really cool. And um, even a couple weeks ago um, during the Indy 500, I posted a throwback like, hey, I remember when yeah. I, you know, hit a drive down pit row off the yard of bricks and um, everyone's like, that is so cool. It's just, you know, and I'm not a race fan and I've not grown up in that um, being a fan of the Indy or of IndyCar, but being around it, it's just, it's incredible. The structure, everything around the speedway. And I think, I mean, playing that tournament with four holes inside the track will be a lot of fun too. And it's all about partnership. Walmart, Tyson's, P&G here, Indianapolis Motor Speedway, Guggenheim there. Mike Wan broadly has really built some interesting coalitions. Yeah, Mike has done an incredible job from when he was hired, what, eight years ago. The kind of handed, I always say, he's handed Roman ruins and said, let's rebuild it. And where we have come uh, in the last eight years is, is really incredible. And he's not afraid to, he comes up with so many great ideas and he's not afraid to try them. And sometimes he'll throw it out and, you know, maybe it won't work. But a lot of them have worked and a lot of them have been really tremendous successes, just like International Crown and events like that. The LPGA is in a very strong position corporately as well as the future coming up the pipeline of players so I think uh, I think there's a lot to be seen in the next 10 20 30 years I mean the LPGA is the longest running women's sports organization in the world I think a lot of people don't know that and uh, I'm very proud to be a part of it so the next 10 20 30 years you are doing an incredible job of morphing into a business person you are a business person day one it's easy for you to do but now you're uh it's a wrong, you're going to kill me for saying senior statesman on the tour. That's a wrong words. But people look up to you. You have a lot of, of boardroom acumen, and you're doing some great things. So talk about your foundation. You know, over the last 10 years, when I started my foundation uh, for breast cancer in honor of my late mother, um, it has just blown up. And we've been able to do really incredible things in South Florida. I'm, the community where we host the event, St. Andrews Country Club, has been um, one of my 
most incredible supporters. I could not do it without them and without everything that they have put in, energy, time, um, investment. It's just we were being able to make a difference to the lives of young women in South Florida fighting breast cancer and and even encouraging them to get tested, which is which is my biggest my biggest push and challenge to all young women is is find out get your mammogram don't wait don't you don't want to catch it until it's too late because today still to this day the best way to fight breast cancer is to catch it early if you catch it too late we don't have the drug technology quite yet and that's you know 10 15 20 years down the road potentially but right now today is get tested get checked so what do you say to um the Charles Barkleys of the world that say that athletes are not role models? Um, you know, I, I can only live the way that, that I was brought up and the way that I was taught, and I certainly try to be a role model every day. I had incredible role models growing up, uh, both on the golf course and off the golf course. And, you know, as women golfers, we have so many young kids that come out to our tournaments, and it's our job to inspire the next generation and um, show them how – what you should act like as a professional out here. So what's next for Morgan Pressel? Um, you know, I'm going to, a little bit more of the same, going to keep chasing that little white golf ball around, and uh, I'm, you know, working really hard trying to get my game back on track where I'd like it to be. It's not quite there, and it never is there, but always a constant pursuit towards playing better. And um, my husband and I would certainly like to have a family, but that's probably a couple years away, and... Um, you know, as long as my body holds up, I'd really like to continue to play golf as long as I can continue to compete at the highest level. And uh, from there, who knows? I'm not uh, ruling anything out or trying to put a limit on anything. Just kind of going with the flow as it is right now. Morgan Pressel, thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this edition of Keeping Score. I'm Rick Harrell. The producer of the show, Alex Cohen. Associate producer, Bethel Hopte. Assistance provided by Tanner Simpkins and Carlos Waddick and the executive editor of Reuters Digital, Dan Colarusso.